Hey everyone, welcome back to the Fieldcraft Survival Podcast. I am your host, Kevin. Uh, and with me today is George. George, hey, how you doing? What's up, Kevin? How you doing? George shaved his beard off. I did. It, he looks like I'll never do it again. 22 years younger. I will never do it again. Why not? I just don't like the way my face looks right now. I need to lose some weight. And uh, <laughs> you got a righteous beard, man. Yeah, you so I'm gonna like grow up back. Grizzly Adams. It's um, I didn't shave it completely. You know, I have a little fuzz left, so I just gotta reshave. I mean, you know, I, I just want to regrow it. Just yeah. do it again. So um, yeah. And then, well, and then my um, my wife, she wanted to see my face shaved. So for our two year anniversary wedding anniversary was yesterday. Um, I just I did it. How long will it take you to get it? Grown back probably like good, twenty like, minutes. Good like, like twenty minutes. I would say a good <laughs> maybe three months to get it like really 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 back in there. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So I shaved too, but nobody noticed mine. I know. I did. I didn't say anything. <laughs> I, I didn't want to draw attention to you, you know? <laughs> All right. So we are a sponsored podcast. Yes, we are. So our first sponsor is Killcliffe. So let's talk about Killcliffe, hey, George. Kill You're Cliff, a big fan. I know you Killcliffe. are. Killcliffe.com. Uh, check them out. We had, we have a survival 10 is our coupon code for them for 10% off. But all I can say about Killcliffe, man, they have a, they're a energy drink company. All their drinks are pretty natural. They don't have all those like chemicals in it and everything like that. So they have three varieties. Well, four varieties right now. They have uh, your Ignite, which is like your pre-workout. You got like, I think like 160. 50 grams of uh, caffeine. I'm drinking one right now. So yeah, I mean, I drink one before I work out. (laughs) And then during my workout, they have Endure, which is kind of like your, uh, there's no carbonation in it. It's just kind of like your, your, they have like the clean carbs in there, the clean sugars that just give you that energy to get through the workout. And then they have the last one is Recover. So they have two types of recovery. They have just a regular recovery drink, which a Recover, which they have uh, uh, multiple uh, flavors, orange, lemon, lime, uh, I think they have a like a blueberry mix CBD one, like a, right? A berry Is that the one. recovery? Yeah, yeah. and they they okay. also have the CBD ones, and yeah. we have uh, three different flavors of that. But it has twenty five milligrams of CBD. Those are our favorites. I know Mike crushes those, so I have to hide them when they come in. But <laughs> we are getting another shipment of. Uh, so that's where they all are. Yeah, we're getting another shipment in this week, so we'll have it all stocked up. And you know what I noticed about the Ignite? I don't crash on it as bad as I do from no. a Monster. Yeah, and yeah. I I can drink those before workout, and yeah. they won't hurt my stomach. Yeah, like before yeah. like the, whatever's in those other energy drinks, it's just like it hits my stomach. I'm like, it's just chemicals. Let me get the bubble guts, Pure you know? Chemicals. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. But yeah, check them out at uh, killcliff.com. Survival 10 is our code. Uh, just get some and try it out. And, you know, and they I'm, donate to the Navy SEAL Foundation. Yes, right? they do. Yeah. So that's yeah. always a plus too. That's cool, man. You're helping out veterans and, fe- and veterans families and programs. What more can you ask for? Killcliff.com. Check them out. Cool. Okay. Next one is Casey highlights. And, I don't have to get hooked up, but my Sprinter van needs some KC highlights on it. I don't <laughs> it have sure a cool does. Toyota. Yeah, we just got done with the uh, with Mike's Dodge build. It has the uh, the big light bar on the top. It has the new designed. I think it's a twenty four inch light bar on the bumper, and then on the back of his new uh, AT Overland. Uh, I think it's the Summit camper top. He has the two like floodlights, so when he's back there working or cooking, he has some lighting back there. And then he also has the uh, the rock lights, which are in the wheel wells. I tell you what, this truck lit up looks amazing. Dude, he turned those, turned those lights on. It looks like daytime. Yeah. Oh you yeah. Can't tell yeah. the difference. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. The great lighting. Yeah. Uh, if you're looking for an off road or even just an everyday light, uh, CaseyHighlights.com will will have you covered. Uh, we do have a coupon code for them. It's Fieldcraft, one word, Fieldcraft, and you get ten percent off of your code. Uh, our next uh, our next uh, sponsor is uh, Triarch Weapon Systems. 
Uh, we've been running Triarchs now for probably the past year. Uh, I know that I have the uh, Triarch 14.5 carbine. It runs so smooth. The, the, just the, the quality that how these, uh, these guns are built is just amazing. There's no rat. Like, you know how some carbines mm-hmm. you pick up, they have like that army guns. rattle. Yeah, like, like army, army guns. Ones. Yeah. <laughs> this Shooting nice solid. guns will ruin oh, you for army guns. Because yeah. army guns are wore out. I know. Yeah. We have, I know we have the, we, we use the Triarch 17. I know we have the Triarch 43 in mm-hmm. our, in the company. And then, uh, Mike just got the, uh, the Tri 11, which that thing is it's beautiful. Sweet yeah. Looking. So I have, Flat don't, don't tell him, but I have his truck gun. It's got that fo- the, the folding stock oh, on yeah. it. And I borrowed it a couple of weeks ago oh, as yeah. a truck gun and he's not getting that nah, bag. No, it's so I'm nice. I'm keeping it. It's beautiful. Yeah. Well, we do have a, a coupon code for Triarch. It's Fieldcraft. One word for 5% off, and that's uh, a pretty nice uh, chunk right there when you look at a, a, a new rifle build or a new handgun build that pretty much covers your taxes right there. So, mm-hmm. so and then BCM? Yeah, BCM Bravo Company Manufacturing is a sponsor of ours. They are a great company. Uh, Mike is a uh, actual gunfighter for them, their gunfighter program. Um, shout out to John Chang over at BCM. He's hooked us up with everything that comes out. We get to touch it. We get to review it. We get to test it. But BCM... Once again, another, uh, uh, how, what, what can I quality. say about it? Quality, quality firearms yeah. Yeah. They, they build. Just, I mean, yeah. you can go on their site. They have a variety of links, barrels, uh, grips, everything, trigger assemblies, anything you can keep up to customize your uh, your carbine, check out bcm.com. So we, uh, I'm leaving tomorrow morning. I'm heading to Kansas City. I'm linking up with Raul. Oh, nice. And we're doing pistol there, one day carbine, gunfighter carbine the next day, and then we're doing long-range carbine. Yeah. And then I'm uh, driving back to Bragg to get out of the Army and get my yeah. retirement ID card. And then I'm linking up with Mike in South Carolina. Yep. And for the same thing, pistol and then yep. carbine and long range. So our long range carbine guns are BCMs with uh, uh, one to six Vortex Razor mm-hmm. HDs on them. So it'll be interesting to see nice. how those run, man. That's, cool. that's going to be money. And yeah. then uh, me and Mike are going to be in Burrow Canyon this weekend. We're doing a uh, a class or a collaborative uh, course with Risen Warrior Syndicate. So half the class will be with Risen Warrior. Have the class be with us. Yeah. So that's what we're going to be doing this weekend here. Uh, we also want to give shout outs to uh, some other companies that we work with. Dometic Fridges. Um, if you use Fieldcraft for free shipping and then you put in this, you don't put www or anything. You just put in shop.dometic.com and that would give you free shipping on any Dometic fridge order, anything you order on their website. So it's Fieldcraft. You put it in for free shipping at shop.dometic.com. I have a Dometic fridge in my oh, Sprinter yeah. van. That's yeah. right. Yeah. Yep. How yep. do you like it? It yeah. runs on propane. It runs on shore power when I'm hooked up to a, a um, extension cord from, from a building. Yeah. And it runs on the generator that's on oh, board. Wow. And it runs on battery power, auxiliary battery so power. No so no matter what, that thing's going to run. It won't go yep. down. I'm always four ready four to systems. go. Damn, that's a lot. Yeah, yeah. So. Yeah. So we also want to talk about uh, tier tactical We've been working with Tier Tactical now for a long time. We've been uh, partners with them for almost a year now, working with them on designing our new bags we have to just doing media and just partnering with them as well. So we have a coupon code for them. It's just one word, Fieldcraft, and it's 15% off your order. So remember, tiertactical.com, type in the uh, code Fieldcraft and save 15%. Uh, another uh, company we are sponsored or uh, affiliated with is uh, Uncana. Uncana is a CBD uh, company. We've been working with them for a while now. Great products. They have everything from the tinctures to the uh, salves to pills to 
uh, vape pens. So any, anything that is related to CBD, uh, they have it. I know, uh, Kevin, you've been using their CBD drops mm-hmm. and yeah. you use it at night usually to help you sleep. Absolutely. Yeah. And I, I couldn't use it when I was in the military because yeah, I get tested and exactly. I don't know if you, it will burn the, 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 the piss test, but I wasn't going to take that chance. So now I've been using it since I've been out there. It oh, really, nice. really helps Good. me sleep. Yeah. I know I take it every morning. So you take it at night. I take mine in yeah. the morning, just kind of just after a workout, kind of just to relieve some of the soreness, the pain that comes along with it. Mm-hmm. So, but um, you're getting ready to have a guest on here, and uh, yeah, who, who is it? Grant. So Grant's a local businessman, and uh, he lives. He grew up here in in Prescott, Arizona, and then he went into the army as a young man, and uh, spent eight years in the Ranger Regiment oh, nice. during the height of the war. So if you, if you spend eight years as a junior enlisted. In the Ranger Regiment, then, then you've been through some oh, you've some been stuff. On deployment, yeah. after deployment, deployment, after deployment after deployment after deployment. Those guys yeah. get wore out, you know. So Grant spent eight years, decided to get out, came back here, local business owner. So it's going to be a good conversation. I'm looking awesome. forward to it. Yeah. All right. I guess uh, let's get this kicked off. All right. Hey everybody, welcome back to the Fieldcraft Survival Podcast. With me today is Grant Caseda. Casada. Casada. I, I, I just asked you and <laughs> yeah. I screwed it up, right? Oh, man. It's, Q. It's Q. Q. Okay, Q. Uh, so Grant is, um, Grant's a local business owner. Actually grew up here in Prescott, not like the rest of us immigrants here that are in uh, Fieldcraft. <laughs> Actually is a local, but uh, Grant went, felt that uh, need to go service country. So he enlisted in the army, went to Ranger Regiment. And spent eight years in Ranger Regiment at the height of the war, pretty much. So what people don't understand about Ranger Regiment is if you go in there as a junior enlisted guy, you're deploying and deploying and deploying and deploying. And not just deploying to play Xbox, you're deploying to fight. Okay. So um, really interesting, your story. So uh, we're going to walk through basically uh, where you grew up and stuff like that. But uh, let me ask you a question real quick about uh, the coronavirus. So you're a local business owner. Yeah. And we'll we'll dig into what your businesses are in, in a little bit. But how has this uh, this virus and all this craziness going on, how has that affected business for you or has it? Yeah. So there's been a little bit of an effect here. So the, the main business we started with was uh, John Hancock Barbershop. And uh, we have a staff of 14 there. Um, we just shut down our doors this past Saturday. Uh, you know, Governor Ducey made, you know, good, good, fair call with the whole coronavirus pandemic thing kicking off and, and what that is doing to uh, the it, Arizona. It took Arizona a long time to kick in, right? Maybe it's just because it's the West and it's so yeah. spread out. Maybe is that why? Yeah, I, that's what I think so. I mean, you start looking at where this thing's, where all the hotspots are and it's all the, the coasts yeah. and densely populated areas and Prescott mm-hmm. as a whole is, I mean, we're pretty sparsely populated um, part of of Arizona and uh we were probably 10 days to 14 days behind everybody else so we just shut down officially this I guess last Saturday so whatever the third or fourth Um, but what what it did give us was the benefit to kind of focus our all of our attention towards a new project uh, which is Founding Fathers Collective and that's a a just shy of 14,000 square foot building that we're working on to be open and operational in, um, I guess it'll be July. So we've slowed down maybe two, three weeks behind schedule as of right now, but mm-hmm. you know, July. Are construction so. company, a construction uh, company still working or are guys still working? Yeah. Yeah. So I, we've been pretty fortunate. A lot of the guys or the subs that we've had, um, one, they were already, 
they've been on the job since January, uh, but a lot of them that were tied up with residential work have kind of shifted or pivoted over to um, kind of get our job done faster. More so because a lot of the residential stuff, people just don't want people in their house, yeah. you know, because yeah. of the, the quarantine and stuff. Mm-hmm. So they, they are now working in a big, massive, empty warehouse with just themselves and a lot easier to uh, stay safe, I guess. Yeah. So, so so what about your employees during this time? Yeah. So everybody at the shop is uh, W-2 employees. So I don't, not the traditional kind of barbershop salon type thing, which is 1099s. And everybody is employed. We've been pretty good financially with our money uh, as a business. And so prior to the whole SBA and the PPP uh, plan that the government was rolling out, that $2.5 trillion pretty much, we had already figured out financially that we could afford to keep everyone paid uh, for about six weeks. And then the government ideally would figure stuff out. Or at the time, it was like, you know, you'd heard about the government working towards figuring stuff out. And then a couple of weeks ago, the speculation was maybe this thing's only going to last, you know, three to, f- to five, six weeks anyway. So we were hoping for that. Um, as soon as they, the government kind of figured it out a couple of weeks ago, uh, that was a huge sigh of relief because now it was like, okay, everybody can still get paid. We can apply for some of the funding um, throughout the state and throughout the government and stuff like that. So we've been able to tap that uh, just through our, our bank and different financial means. So Okay, cool. Yeah, me and you have both worked for the government. We know how... Uh, oh, cumbersome. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's a better word than I was going to oh, use. Yeah. But yeah. yeah. Um, good. It's a big, big vehicle moving along. It though. really is, and a slow-moving vehicle. Mm-hmm. Um, so let, let's talk about your your businesses and all that at the end, and, sure. and remind me if I if I forget because uh, it's late. Um, so um, let's go back to the start uh, mm-hmm. about growing up in there. I, I like this story because I like positive stories from people who got in the army, and not everybody needs to spend twenty years in the army. For some people, it's just not the right decision, right? So. But I like these positive stories where a guy gets in, he serves his country, he goes to war, he comes back, and he's not the homeless vet at the inter- at the intersection of the highway, right, with the sign saying, homeless vet, please help, right? He's um, he's getting after it, starting businesses, and and, and this has been the, the case since, for, 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 you know, generations, right? World War II was the same, a lot of the... Uh, World War II vets came back and they started business. Vietnam's the same. For every, for every one peace protester with a big beard and, 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 you know, battle fatigues on, there was another 100 guys starting their own business. So I think the Army teaches you to be very resilient and very, you know, to, to rely on yourself and work hard and good work ethics. So I like to see these positive stories where guys get out of the Army, come back, and get on with their life and, and, and uh, don't look back. Yeah. So... What was it like growing up in Prescott uh, back in the day? Yeah, so growing up here, I think the town, man, uh, I moved here when I was like four from Southern California. So I, I had enough sense to talk my parents into getting out of California <laughs> when I was four, and they listened to me. Uh-huh. Uh, but, you know, I think maybe 12,000 people back then, you mm-hmm. know, maybe maybe 20,000 by the time I graduated high school. What is it so now? I think we're just, we just hit like 43,500. Okay. So it's still pretty yeah. small. The whole uh, Quad City area. Uh, I believe is about 167, uh, okay. somewhere around there. So, and the average household, I guess, age here in Prescott's like 55. So okay. it's a pretty big retirement community. Yep. Um, as a kid growing up here, you had was it was it a crime retirement community? But even back then, when you were yeah, a kid, really? yeah. So it's always been a pretty big retirement community. So we're always uh, hitting the top list all over the country mm-hmm. for places to retire. Somebody told um, me that. It was really small, and mm-hmm. I, I don't know, it wasn't you that told me, it was somebody else that's from here, and they said it was really small, and then it, it, it appeared in some, like, 
top 10 oh, yeah. places to retire in America. And then oh it just blew up overnight. Yep. Yeah. You'll, you'll start realizing the, the I'm, I'm sure you already have, but the longer you're here, you're going to realize how much of a gem it is. And oh, it's we, beautiful. We I love always, it. Yeah. yeah. We're, we're always hitting these lists. And every time you hit a list, it's like, dude, stop. Like, stop. <laughs> you know, two, uh, two years ago. Stop telling people. Yeah. yeah. Two, two years ago, the American Heart and Lung Association voted us the cleanest air in the entire United States. Really? Yeah. And so we're always at the top of these lists. And it's, you know, you got five lakes and we're a mountain town. So it was great as a kid growing up here. You're always outdoors, uh, yeah. just putzing around with your buddies or hunting or fishing or just whatever it might be. But it was a phenomenal place to grow up. Yeah. Um, and so, uh, yeah, anyways, go ahead. That's cool. Yeah. No, no, that's, uh, no, I love it here. It's so beautiful. And uh, I wish people would stop moving here. It's just me who just moved <laughs> here, right? Yeah. <laughs> Damn, I'm yeah. a local man, man. I know. You, you just got to for like three weeks. <laughs> make sure you get your uh, license plates changed as as fast as you can because yeah. that's always yeah. I, i've seen and heard stories of the locals and then you get somebody from california with a license plate and the locals are just yelling i'm like get out of my you know city somebody told me there's like a ruthless. facebook page for all <laughs> like the locals have all the all that like yeah. retired people have a, a facebook page where they just bash people and take pictures of their license yeah. plates. is that I, true yeah so yeah. i was driving down the, the road actually yesterday and somebody on the truck had a, a little sticker and it said Stop Californicating my Prescott. <laughs> so, That's awesome. Yeah. It was pretty good. So when when you uh, so you grew up here hunting, fishing, outdoors all the time, and then you graduate high school. Mm-hmm. Is that when you you looked at the military? What what kind of focused you towards? I want to go in the army. Was it like a, a mentor? Was it movies? Was it? There's always something that triggers that that need in in, in a young person. Yeah, sure. Uh, so. Man, I think as far back as I can remember, I kind of always gravitated towards the military. Um, and just reading the books, you know, I remember sixth, seventh, and eighth grade, you're reading, or, you know, the the books from all the Lerps and Rangers mm-hmm. and SF guys. What and, was the movie? What was the movie that uh, drove you towards? The, there has to be one. I would say Black Hawk Down, but that's such a cliche. But that's totally, yeah. I mean, that movie came out in 2000. And then 2001 oh. kicked off. And, yeah. you know, I was 18 uh, right after 2001. I was I was a couple days days shy of. So any, anybody 18. who looks at Black Hawk Down and goes, "Man, I want to do that," yeah. it was meant to be in Ranger Battalion. Yeah, yeah totally. <laughs> so uh, yeah, so I just read all those books and then kind of hit high school and I I uh, played sports in high school and I there was a time my sophomore year where I uh, got in some trouble, made some bad decisions. Literally, it was like the first day of my uh, first day I'd ever ditched school in my life. I kind of just swung for the fences, uh, you know. Made some, made a foolish decision with a couple of buddies and mm-hmm. spent a couple of months in jail. So that right Juvie. there, yeah, yeah. So that was it. So yeah. that kind of set me on a new trajectory where I could not get into the military for a little bit. Um, do you, do you think um, do you think that almost scared you straight be, because of that that experience or? Was it just something you put behind you and you you? I mean, you weren't a bad kid, right? Mm-hmm. But but was that something that was like? no big deal or did it like screw this i don't want to spend my life you know yeah no it definitely for me it it um kind of helped right the ship so i wasn't actively yeah. making bad decisions before that but you know being a young kid or young boy especially yeah. you're always just doing dumb shit mm-hmm. you know? yep and this was really dumb and you're you know, dumb my, as oh, hell till you're about 25 dude, totally. yeah <laughs> absolutely i mean i don't think you know my mom's a, a psychotherapist and my wife's a social worker and men's brains don't fully yeah. Uh, I think they don't fully mature until you're 27 and yeah. females are like 19 or 20. I would believe that. So I would totally believe uh, that. Yeah. You're just, 
you're just an idiot. Yeah, pretty much your entire life. Absolutely. Um, yeah. So we, uh, so I got in trouble. My stepdad is a uh, sheriff deputy here in town at the time, retired out of tenth group special forces. So mm-hmm. I knew all about the military, and then my mom, you know, is a counselor psychologist here in town, and so. Yeah, pretty pretty good kid, making good decisions. That was it. Got me in trouble, um, and then got out of high school or whatever, and uh, did a couple years of college. I didn't. The stuff I wanted to learn was stuff you're not going to make any money in, which was like uh, whatever religious studies, um, philosophy, mm-hmm. psychology. Sorry for those doctors out there, but I definitely did not want to go get a so doctorate. You, or anything so once like that. once you got in trouble and you went to juvie and all that, you mm-hmm. pretty much put the military out of your mind because yeah, I, knew I, I guess they won't in. take you if you have a juvie record. Yeah, yeah. So really? I, well, I was charged as an adult, so that's what happened. Oh, so okay. Charged as an adult, um, and then were you, were you 18? I'm sorry. I was 16. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So. But they, they charged me as an adult, and that kind of kept me mm-hmm. uh, out of the military for the time being. And then I ended up moving out to Missouri when I was uh, 19, and I lived out there for about three three years, and that's actually where I got into cutting hair. Um, and then there was a small window from, which I found out later, but from 06 to like 2007, where the, the Army opened up their doors to anybody with, with records. And so mm-hmm. I had had a roommate at the time who was a pro skateboarder, and, uh, you know, boxer and stuff. And he joined the military and went to Ranger Regiment about four months before I did. And so mm-hmm. he, he had been in some trouble too as a youth. And so one day he just comes home and he's like, dude, I uh, went and enlisted today and I was able to get in. And it was like, cool. Okay. So apparently I'm going to go try it out. Mm-hmm. And that well, was were it. You, were you, uh, as a young man sitting watching the news and seeing what was going on in Iraq and Afghanistan and going, yeah. damn, man. Because it was rough back then. Because yeah, like, yeah. like up, you know, 2005, 2000, you know, we, we invaded Iraq in 03 and mm-hmm. then 04 and then there was a little bit of stuff going on and then 05 and 06, it was a little bit, but 07, it was brutal, man. It was, we were losing the war and we were losing a lot of people at that yep. time, you know? So Yeah, yeah. so I enlisted uh, mid 06 and I had, like I said, two roommates. One of them was in the National Guard. He'd already done two deployments to Iraq. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then uh, the other one had just enlisted and went, went into Ranger Regiment. And we ended up meeting up later on down the road. But uh, so I'd, I'd kind of heard it and I realized, okay, this is a possibility. And maybe they've lifted uh, whatever the bands were or whatever. Mm-hmm. And sure enough, they had. So I went, went in, talked to a recruiter. Um, Isn't it funny? But when you're, when you're, Balls deep in war. Yeah, you probably don't want Boy Scouts on your no, team, no, right? You, you probably the, want little one of the little risk pipe hitters, right? Yeah, little pipe hitters, like yeah, yeah exactly. Hey, you know, yeah. if you can if you can do something bad, uh, yeah. you know, and it's illegal, come do something bad, yeah. and it's legal for us. Yeah, <laughs> so <laughs> yeah, um, I yeah, I didn't know the army lifted the restrictions, but but mm-hmm. it makes total sense. Recruiting was down. Because yep. you're trying, all these guys like you who yep. want to go do violence are trying to get in, and all these other kids who want to go do college are not enlisting no, because they're yep. like, I'm not going to Iraq for a year or mm-hmm. 18 months at the time when the surge kicked in. So that makes total sense. And I, I wish we would we would take a holistic look at kids, man. I, re- I really think that, because people are always asking me how I did what I did to come in the American army and all that. And I was just lucky, right? I was in the right place at the right mm-hmm. time. And, 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 but I think there should be a program for kids in, in friendly countries like England, you know, Ireland, yeah. 
uh, maybe some of the European countries that are friendly to the US that, hey, you want to come and be a US citizen? Five years in the military and we will give you a US citizenship at the end of it. And male and female, come on in mm-hmm. and we'll set you up. I, I think that would be a really good program. And then at any point, if you screw up and you get kicked out, you're gone. You're deported, you know? Yeah. Um, I don't know why we don't do that. Anyway, slightly off the topic. So did you always want to go in Ranger Regiment? Was that the goal? You know, so I, I think... And I don't know if this is taboo. I think you'll understand it as a warrior. But uh, the older I've gotten and the more I've had time out. Mm -hmm. Um, Personally, I've always been enamored with just special operations, the community. always read books from different branches and different units. And ideally, you know, if I could be in every single unit, I would. I Mm -hmm. don't think... I, I don't think that's anything. Um, I, I think there's pros and cons. To yeah, every totally. It's like I, at I the really end of the day, do. you're chasing glory, you're chasing yeah. the experience, you're chasing camaraderie, the, camaraderie, mm-hmm. the brotherhood, and uh, to be able to to experience what each one of those units are yeah. about. I mean, that'd yeah. be a phenomenal. I really, I, you, know, you know, I came to the states late, but I really envy kids who at 18 went mm-hmm. into the infantry and went into Ranger Regiment yeah. and spent like four or five, six years in Ranger Regiment, yeah. then went to SF mm-hmm. for four or five, six years, and then went to Delta. And spent the rest of their career. I think that's a phenomenal oh, way yeah. to go, man. And had yeah. I had I the opportunity to do it all again, then maybe I'd go that way, you know. Yeah. But I, I think that's that's the smart money right there. Yep. So so I went in at uh, I was twenty three, just shy of twenty, my twenty fourth birthday, and um, I knew all or as much as I could, you know, about uh, regiment and SF and some of the other units. And the army was the the medium that opened the door for me to get into the military. Mm-hmm. Uh, and apparently the, the Marine Corps had done something similar a couple months prior, and I think even the Navy. So I had been talking to other guys in since then. But uh, anyways, the Army was the way to get in. Uh, I knew about SF and regiment, and I knew at, the big fear for me at that time was like, man, this is 06, the war is going to die down. Yeah. And if I go the SF route, I'm going to be in training, mm-hmm. the Q course, all that stuff for yep. three, four years. Yeah. And my, there's my time. I just yeah. missed it. You know, we're yeah. talking. I'd be done at like 2009 or 10. And yeah, like, I was in. Geez, I, I was in the Q course in 03 when the invasion of Iraq okay. was going yeah. on. I was losing my mind. Yeah. So it's <laughs> like, man, I just want to get over there as fast as possible. Yeah. And so I and conveniently, uh, or providentially, there there was this gentleman that had just left Third Battalion that moved in right across the street from me. Uh, so my buddy had joined with a Ranger contract. He went in, and then there's this dude across the street fixing his motorcycle. And I'm like, I can go talk to him, you know, and I find out he did eight years, came in at like 99, Mm -hmm. got out in 06 or whatever. And then he was going to college. And so he had all this history of, of, you know, being a 375 and throughout the start of the war, pre-GWAT and then the whole war up until that point. Mm -hmm. And so he was like, dude, this is what it's like. And it was like, okay, cool. You know, like, and he told me kind of the operation tempo, deployment cycle, all that stuff. And I was like, okay, I'm definitely going regiment because I know, uh, I can fast track it within basic training, airborne and rip, you know, you could be in regiment deployed mm-hmm. within eight, nine months. So, realistically. So, so the way, <clears throat> the way and I'm asking, cause I don't know, but the way SF do it, they front load a lot of training. So mm-hmm. you might be in training if you're a medic for two years. Right. Yep. So, but regiment obviously do a lot of training when you're in the unit, right? You get right. in, you prove yourself. This guy's, this guy's uh Tough enough to be in regiment, and then when you get to your squad, they train you in your squad. I assume. Right? Yeah, correct. So you go through, you know, basic training, whatever your your uh, skill set is, or your MOS, and then you you hit uh, airborne for the most part, and then you hit RIP or RASP now. And then once you pass that, then you get to battalion. Mm-hmm. And once you're in battalion, then uh, majority, especially if you're on the line or the infantry guy kicking in doors and stuff, 
you're in the line, you'll do a deployment. And then once you get back from that first deployment, they generally send you to ranger school then. So you get the opportunity to obviously best your peers, go to ranger school, and then you don't even get considered or looked at as a, any type of leadership position at all, unless you've been to ranger school. Mm-hmm. So, um, but you're, you're totally right. So while you're in the training cycle, that's where the, the regiment catches up with sending all those guys to those, you know, special operations schools or mm-hmm. the big army schools and stuff like that compared to front loading everything on the front end. Mm-hmm. But what it allows for is like, you know, really, Hey, if you want to be here and you want those schools, you're going to have to bust your ass to, to freaking make it to the schools. Mm-hmm. We're not just going to give them to you and you're going to earn them the whole way. And if there's a lot of times dudes failed out of those schools, or if they did, it's like, dude, you're, you're gone. You're yep. kicked down, kicked down the road. Needs so, of the army. Yeah. Yeah. So there's a lot of weight on your shoulder constantly of having to prove yourself time yeah. and again. And I've heard a statistic once, once or twice, and there, I'm sure there's some truth to it, but it, apparently like 50% of Ranger regiment, um, the attrition rate is 50% a year. So you're losing guys either to, getting kicked out, released for standards, or they're getting out of the military, or they're going on to SF or CAG or some other mm-hmm. unit. Yeah. Um, I so. don't know what, what what's best, right? Is it best to front load all the training or do it on, in your unit where the camaraderie? I think there's mm-hmm. pros and cons yeah, to both. Absolutely. I do think the Q course for SF is too freaking long. I think there's no reason you should be in school for two freaking years while, while you're... I just That's my personal belief. Yeah. And the problem is is that such a big moving machine that you have these guys that, like I went through the Q course in 10 months, start to finish, because I was an 18 Bravo, which is a short weapons arm. It's a short, it's four months mm-hmm. MOS. I'd already been to a lot of leaders because I was an E6 when I got there. Yeah. So I just went bang, 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 and got through. But you get these guys that go through one phase and then sit around for a month waiting for the next phase to start. Yeah. And then they sit around for another month waiting for the third phase to start. And it's all those, all those, sitting on your ass fucking things that add up to like a year and a half. So, yep. And I, it, I, yeah. And I, I, all I can say, at least coming from regiment, you take a guy that, uh, you know, gets through RASP and he gets into battalion. Uh, by the time, you know, one, like an SF guy or even a SEAL or some of these other units, which you're front loading all the training, that's two years or three years out of your timeline. Yeah. And I'm not saying always, but specifically in the GWAT with regiment, it was like, Hey, you're going to, during that time, that first two or three years, you've already done two, three, four deployments. Yeah. And so you yeah. have quite a bit of experience of at least wartime. Mm-hmm. And that, so for me at that time, I think regiment was the way to go. Cause I, I really just wanted to jump right into, yeah. I wanted warfare. I wanted to get over there. I wanted to see what it was about. I wanted to see what I was made of and everything else. Mm-hmm. But I was also very aware, like, Hey, I, I could go SF. I could go these other routes, but it was just that that feeling of like missing out. Like, dude, if, if I, if I don't go now, like yeah. it's going to take me three, four years before I even get a chance and the war is going to be over. Or whatever and the case and might had be, you so. stayed in, you always would have had the oh, opportunity yeah. later yeah. on to do all those things. So you know? it's still in the back of my head. I'm still in the national guard. And it's like, <laughs> okay, I'm young enough. And yeah. like, you know, you hear stories like I could, uh, I could drop a packet for the queue and go as a national yeah, guard. Right. Guy, you so. could. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. 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 Right. You could. Um, yeah. Cool. So what's it like to be in regiment without a ranger tab? Oh, dude, it's horrible. I, I, <laughs> I lucked out uh, because I, I came in and I was married. I got married right after basic training. So that afforded me the opportunity to live off base um, or, or on base in barracks housing or whatever. But um, so I got the experience of getting just smoked all the time and just everything you're dealing with as a junior guy. But I would come in on the, the next morning after we get released and I'm, I'm going home to my wife and I come home and it's my buddies are just 
getting screwed the whole night. You know, their team leaders mm-hmm. are drunk yeah. or whatever. Yeah. And it's just like, dude, what happened? Like we used to have a lip that went around our old barracks. It was like a 12 inch lip outside the second and third floor. Yeah. And uh, they would play games to where it's like, hey, you're a junior dude. Uh, you're bungee cording yourself in with your, you know, your little fast clip for the helicopter. And you're sleeping outside on that ledge with no wow. pillow or sleeping bag and you're just bungeed into your bed. Wow. And so I remember there was times where I'd come in at like six in the morning and you just see some asshole just bungee corded in up there. Wow. So <laughs> you like, missed oh that because you were yeah. off post? Yeah. So there's some yeah. there was some funny stuff, man, where like But it's all it's all it, pe- it, people listen to that and they're like, that's, that's crazy. crazy. But it, it's all camaraderie. Absolutely. And it's it's a rite of passage mm-hmm. and it builds that bond that that yeah. real like I, I, you know, I've seen guys that are in SF for years and years and years who were young guys in Ranger Edmund and they still consider themselves to be Rangers, right? Uh-huh. They don't wear their SF combat patch. They wear a Ranger scroll, right? Because they're that proud of being in Ranger Regiment. And I, and I think of all the units in the military uh, during the GWAT, the Ranger mm-hmm. Regiment started the GWAT as an infantry unit yeah. to pull security for CAG, for yep. Delta Force, right? They, they're now a tier one uh, yeah. counter-terrorist special operations unit, you know, so they've really maneuvered themselves well and it, it's, they deserve everything they get, right? Very disciplined unit. I've never been in a regiment, but I've worked with them a lot. So, uh, I, I think no other unit has maneuvered themselves into GWAT as well as regiment. Yeah. Yeah. I think, um, I mean, a huge part of that. I remember, man, 2012 or 13, I had the regimental sergeant major and these guys are old crusty guys that were, man, been around forever. Mm. But there's never a time where you, you kind of get past yourself thinking you're, you're better than mm-hmm. you are. You always have somebody the next rank up that just has no problem humbling you. And I yeah. remember, you know, as a senior E6, I'm on my, I'd been there for nine deployments. I'd personally been on six. And I think it was my last one in this crusty sergeant major from regiments like, hey, uh, at the end of the day, you're just, all you guys are just light infantry. He's like, I don't give a shit about this special operations stuff. Mm-hmm. He's like, our job is just raids. And he just broke it down to like, this is the brass tacks. This is our job. And this yeah. is what we're doing. And it's like, oh, you know, it's like, come on, dad. Yeah. You just stole all the fun out of all the cool guy stuff. Did, he, did, you know? he, so, did that guy still have a high and tight? Oh, dude, I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah, I'm pretty <laughs> sure he did. But when did regiment, regiment go away from high and tights? I think it was like maybe 05, 06. I remember yeah. when I got to battalion and it was kind of like, hey, grow, grow out your hair longer still within regs, but longer. Mm-hmm. And then you don't ever really walk outside the brown fence in any type of uniform. It was always, you're mm-hmm. in civilian clothes. And, um, you know, so really stop drawing attention to yourself. And mm. that was kind of the, the standard. And then, you know, you get different officers in or stuff kind of changes and flows. And I, I'm sure I've talked to buddies in SF, and, mm-hmm. but same thing. It's like everybody's kind of going back to garrison lifestyle in the last oh, couple yeah, of years. Absolutely. It makes yeah. it very, very difficult coming from yeah. Especially as a GWAT baby. You yeah. Know, a lot of these yeah. guys coming in pro- just for GWAT yeah. and then all they've experienced is like relaxed regulations. Yeah. And now we're shifting back to like a garrison type of mindset. It's, it's like, dude, like I was out of here, man. Just I was in the army in the nineties and yeah. Clinton, right? So I know what it's like. And then we've been in the GWAT for years and years yeah. and years. And then to see us go back to this peacetime army, it's hard to take. Yeah. It really is. And, um, I don't see the point personally, but so first deployment, what year and what country? So that was, oh, so I, man, so it was 08. I got to battalion in early 07. Uh, I was one of the first 10, 10 guys in my rip class that they stood up um, Delta company. So because they stood up Delta company, they were, they were kind of 
pulling guys from all the different companies. We had to go through all these certifications, recertifications, mm-hmm. because we're a brand new um, so element within the, regiment. They were expanding the yep. size of every battalion. Yeah, so mm-hmm. everybody had deployed in 07. I was there for it and just sat and watched like half my buddies go. And it's like, great, I, I got That's here awesome. only to miss, mm-hmm. you know, two months later, all my see all my buddies go. Yeah. And then I'm just training my ass off with buddies, trying to stand up Delta Company. At, at that time, like... The running joke between battalion was uh, Delta Company was stood for divorce company because I think we had like thirty guys divorced and yeah. you're talking a company of a hundred guys and thirty of them are divorced yeah. or something and it's not like everybody's married so mm-hmm. it's like geez almost <laughs> everybody got divorced so my wife was awesome and stuck stuck with me the whole time but it was a pretty grueling um, you know like first training cycle for mm-hmm. for us over there and then uh, so my first deployment was early '08. And that was to Afghanistan and to JBAD, and we were uh, working with uh, SEAL Team 6. So, mm-hmm. what, what, what was your mission? Um, you know, like typical nighttime raids, HVTs, yeah. or time-sensitive targets. Mm-hmm. Um, so really just whatever came down the pipe. I think at that time, everything was a little slower in Afghanistan. So a huge part of the Army side of the operation was all in Iraq, and that was like the DFO and, you know, SF, the SIF teams mm-hmm. and regiment. And then we had two platoons or maybe three out of the 12 of us that went to, went to, um, Afghanistan. So were you working that reverse cycle? Yeah. So I, I, night? yeah, man, I, I think, yeah, I, I don't know if I'd, I don't even know if I'd call time. it reverse cycle anymore. Yeah. Cause I've done it so many times that yeah, that's said, normal. normal. Yeah. That's normal cycle. Reverse that's cycle is being up during the, when the sun is up. Right. Yeah. 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 Um, so. Yeah, so, um, yeah, the big focus was trying to get Iraq because we mm-hmm. knew we were in Afghanistan for the long haul. The big focus was trying to trying to move Iraq forward. How was the, because uh, uh, I was in Afghanistan in 04, and then I went back to back to back in, in Iraq, but uh, how was the ROE at that time in Iraq? Man, o- in, in and, Afghanistan. Yeah, in, right? in 08, ROE was awesome. I mean, mm-hmm. it was pretty much you... Mm-hmm. Because it fluctuated. Call for fire. Yeah, 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 there was definitely... So I did four deployments to Afghanistan and two to Iraq. And, uh, and so I would see, I think I, I did Afghanistan, Iraq, Iraq, and then three Afghanistan trips mm-hmm. and everything there was, yeah, like you're saying, it fluctuated, you know, I think it, so in 08 ROE was pretty liberal in the, in the context of like, Hey man, if you feel threatened or if you want to do a call for fire mission, all this stuff. I wouldn't I mean, call it liberal. I call it sensible. Right? <laughs> yeah, because there we go. Yeah. I, I mean, I've seen That's, ROE yeah. be ridiculous, whereas mm-hmm. you almost have to get somebody wounded or killed before you can really lay some scunion, right? But, um, yeah, it it fluctuates. And you get these risk-averse commanders and Mm -hmm. political decisions and all that 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 leads into those those, uh, strict ROE. Uh Put soldiers' lives in danger, man. It really does. It drives me freaking crazy. How long were your deployments normally? About four four to six months, depending on, like, if you were on any surges or anything like that. But, you know, your standard... Um, deployments about a four month cycle. Mm-hmm. So. See that, that that's what people don't understand, right? Because in SF, in in SF, they're there longer. Like I, I, I spent twenty four years in the army. I that my longest deployment was nine months. I did nine months in Kosovo mm-hmm. back in the day, and then I did nine months in Iraq. But I did a bunch of six month tours, and people are like, "Oh, that's nothing." I spent eighteen months. Good for you, man. That, Dude, totally, that's it, is, tough, it is nothing. Man. Four yeah. months compared to eighteen. It's not. Like, man, but, my hats off to you. But when you're out every single night hitting targets and in gunfights, and more so in Iraq than in Afghanistan. Afghanistan, I was on a lot of long range stuff, mm-hmm. a lot of dropping bombs, a lot of uh, vehicle or fifty count stuff. But in Iraq, gunfights were inside the house. Oh yeah, a lot of times, right? Yeah. So if you do that 
And you're doing Every two or week. three hits a night. You know, I'm sure yeah, you were there. It's like absolutely. you go hit a target, yeah. you get all the freaking intel, intel, and you're just going to follow you flex, one, you know? Or you flex to a second, a yep. third. Sometimes you'd be out all night. Oh, yeah, heading like, back head, to the yeah. base, and then, you know, get a call from the chain of command. It's like, hey, you guys need to flex to this target. Yeah. And you're like, dude, we're exhausted. Yeah. Like, okay, whatever. Yeah, and you get on the hood of the Humvee, and you pull up the map, and you're like, okay, you go here, uh-huh. you go here, you go here, and you've done it so many times, it's yeah. no big deal. But when you're hitting targets like that, Every single night for months, no time off, multiple targets, multiple gunfights. That shit wears you out oh, yeah. hard, man. So you get at the end of a six month tour, and you've been working nighttime. You yeah. you gotta go, man. You, yeah, you're. you're uh, and then you know, I remember working with um, with Delta, and the Delta uh-huh. commander came in, and he was like, "Look." Because of a certain TPP, TTP we're not going to talk about, but he was like, look, if one of you guys gets killed, it takes years to replace you, you know yeah. what I mean? So, um, I mean, hats off to those kids, and especially in the infantry that were driving around and strikers and all that, and they were on the 18-month, that, that's brutal, you know? Yeah, but, I, but there's a different mechanism yeah. to, to special operations. Yeah, I think really early on for me personally, I just realized... You know, probably just my first deployment, you know, realizing like what a lot of those guys do, you know, because everybody has... A role to play, they do. you yeah. know, and yeah. that's, and you know, that's very important to realize. And I think a lot of times people just, you meet guys in the, in the, um, maybe support roles or something. And there's a lot of people that go into the military, not expecting or wanting to actually go to warfare mm-hmm. compared to a lot of guys in the infantry and definitely in special operations. It's like, look, I came in specifically to go do yeah. this and this is yeah. what I want to do. Mm-hmm. And I want to be surrounded by guys like that. Um, but you know, everybody performs a certain role. You're in country. I would see these guys, you know, just going through the grueling grind of either, you know, they're just out patrolling for 12 hours every day. They mm-hmm. come back, they're, they're foot patrolling, and they don't really know. I, you know, they have a mission set from whatever their hires kind of dictate down. But yeah. a lot yeah. of these guys, they don't know what they're doing. And then if a buddy dies or something, there's no ramifications or they, they don't get to participate. They in don't, the, they in don't get payback. The, the, right. yeah, the yeah. righteous yeah. justice of like going out and... and revenge you know like mm-hmm. whereas on the special operations side very much so it's like hey you're invincible you lose somebody a buddy you know you're going back the next yep. night to if, mm-hmm. if you didn't handle it that night it's like you're going back the next night or the next night or you, you're going you're you always have the ability to be on the attack mm-hmm. and i think psychologically that plays into the healthy factor of of how well a lot of guys dealt with uh, you know that idea of ptsd and mm. which is it's real but i coming from our world, I don't have a lot of friends or peers that I think deal with it on the mm-hmm. level and capacity that I've, I've met or have friends that are coming from you yeah. know, some of the other I've units, never so. met anybody in SF or a Ranger Regiment or that was like full of remorse about, I shot no. this guy. They, they're, where it hurts them mostly is if they think they let their buddy down yeah. who got shot next to him uh-huh. and maybe I should have got up on that hill before and, and covered him. It's when guys have that sense of, I didn't do my job. I could have done something differently and yeah. saved him. That just fucks with their head. It just messes them up for a very, very long time. So not not to not to give the, the impression that SF or Rangers or CAG guys don't have PTSD. We do, right? A lot yeah. of us, right? But I, I do think it's a great point that when you're in offensive operations and you stack the deck, and you go out with Spectre gunships and attack yeah. helicopters and, oh, yeah. and the guy left and right of you is highly trained and, and will cover you. I think that puts your your head in a different mindset than I'm driving around the striker for eight hours and my job is to find IEDs with the wheels of the striker. And yeah. that's what they did, man. Yeah. I, I My hat's off to those kids. I remember being in the uh, Chow Hall in Mosul in 06, I think, maybe 07. And uh, 
me and Mike were there and uh, we're in civilian clothes nobody knew who we were and we were eating and a couple of kids pulled up in a striker and they'd been on a patrol getting just hammered and they came in to eat real quick and they were covered in dust and dirt and grime and uh, there was a female who was there in her white uniform in, in the chow hall and she kicked them out because they were in dirty uniforms and it drove me freaking crazy and our medic Dave went over and just detonated on her he was like how dare you you know you should be ashamed of yourself yeah, for him. you're yeah. hiding in here in the chow hall and they're out fighting and that. he just made her feel like tiny you know and i was like yes good for you man yeah but uh, yeah hats off to those kids so um anything significant in that first trip did you feel trained and ready to operate or were you kind of a little you were older too and, yeah, and yeah. 24 is not old or 25 or whatever but when it, everybody else is like 18 19 dude you, i had team leaders that were uh like a, a solid year younger yeah. than me and they'd already been on five deployments yeah you know? and so yeah. they're 24 23 yeah. 24 and they're on five deployments and mm -hmm. you're like dude, what have I been doing with the yeah, last five years of my yeah, life? Yeah. So, you know, I guess to answer that, I, I think most guys feel pretty trained up, um, just in soft in general, you yeah. know, you go through so mm -hmm. much rigorous training to get to where you're at and everything just becomes second nature and yeah. muscle memory. And so you, you know what you're doing. Um, I know for me, you know, it, it's, it's very, uh, calming and reassuring to know that, Hey, your, your buddies that you're with, this isn't their first rodeo. You know, you yeah. have your, platoon sergeant who's probably been on average you know in, in regiment that guy's somewhere between 27 to 30 and he's been on anywhere from nine to, to 15 deployments mm -hmm. or something and then you the have experience your, is yeah. such a good teacher so you just right have now. you have all the it and it matriculates all the way down to like your lowest common denominator which is your private and you're talking you maybe have three one to four of those guys in a platoon at the, at a time that have not been deployed so yeah. you're, you're talking a platoon of 35, 40 guys, the majority of everybody has been deployed and they're doing the exact same mission every single yeah. night, you know, deployment after deployment. And of course, variables happen and stuff, but you you definitely have a lot more ease within your mind of just knowing like, dude, Joe Blow has done this friggin' eight times, mm -hmm. you know, and there's seven of those guys in this platoon. You yeah, know, so I, I I think we've lost some of that, and probably in regiment. I know in SF you have you you walk around third group or, or first group or whatever now. There's a lot of kids in in group now with no combat patch and no CIB, yeah. and it's probably the same in regiment. Yeah. The, oh, the yeah. work is just not there, right? Yeah. So how do you maintain that that high level of training? when all your senior guys with combat are all getting out, retiring, or they're all promoted to staff jobs where they're not interacting with troops anymore. I, I don't know how you do that. Yeah, I don't think you can outside yeah. of, honestly, outside of continually funding the war machine. Yeah. You know, and I'm, yeah. that's a whole other conversation, but it's like America in the last hundred years, I mean, we've become, you know, a, a pretty well-weaponized war machine that mm -hmm. we have... We, we do have the best military yeah. in, mm -hmm. in on the planet, you know, hands down. And so when you have that amount of money and training behind it, it's only inevitable before we get into another conflict and yeah. you get all that experience but back. But we, we, you know? we, so. we, we relearn the lessons again. Mm -hmm. It's just yeah. the nature of the beast. So I remember when I, in the 90s, people used to talk about the Brits and the SES because they'd been in Northern Ireland. They'd done all this work in Northern Ireland. There were the Israelis who were constantly fighting. When I was in basic training, I had combat experience and almost nobody, like yeah. none of my drill sergeants did. Yeah, awesome. But at the time, we always kind of looked to other other countries that had a lot of combat. But I tell you now, America's got some combat under their belt now yeah. at this point. But I, I just, just hope we... Shop. Yeah. <laughs> I just hope we maintain that skill set without... Uh, 
you know, relearning those lessons again, because, you know, truth be told, we've driven into the same ambush points in Afghanistan mm -hmm. that the Russians drove into. And we've yep. driven in, SF have driven into the same ones, Ranger Regiment. Now, you know, total disclosure, there's only a few roads in Afghanistan and, and most of the time they're not roads, they're, they're riverbeds. So you can yeah. either drive down there or not fucking go, right? Yeah, Sorry, I don't mean to Footpath or, or yeah, yeah. luckily you're getting a half package if you can. So. Yeah, yeah, hopefully, yeah. yeah. But uh, nothing significant on that on that deployment uh, there was, that stands out? Uh, you know, my first one, we, uh, so very first mission, we we did a simo hit, we hit one compound and uh, blue guys hit another compound. And so... Blue we, is still Team Six. Yeah, yep. Mm -hmm. So they they were taking contact. We're taking contact, and then uh, my team we push outside, and it's just getting to be dawn. So the sun's coming up. Everything had kind of simmered down on our side of the, um, uh, you know, on our compound, and then they take. We hear some pop shots, and these guys are maybe four or five hundred yards away from us. We can see where their vehicles are parked. See what they're doing. And apparently one of their uh, ANA guys, so the Afghani National Army guys, uh, I think he had gotten shot. And um, so they pull out going back to like ROE and it was like, hey, you guys can do whatever you want. So we're kind of hearing the radio chatter. The sun's kind of rising. I'm facing east with with a couple of my buddies. And uh, all I see is like just tracer rounds ripping in. Mm -hmm. No, no noise yet, but it starts just eradicating this compound that the blue guys had just pulled out of. And uh, sure enough, it's an A-10 just flying like 100 yards off the deck, just comes ripping through. It like banks so the pilot can look and see the mm -hmm. damage he just had done on this uh, compound. And as he, as he banks, you know, you're looking at the bottom side of his plane, mm -hmm. and he's just got American flags on the plane. It was just like, dude, this is awesome. That's amazing. You know? And then he just yeah. takes off into the west, turns around, rips through a whole nother round, just, you know, totally wiping out this compound. And we're just sitting there watching. It's like, dude, this is awesome. This yeah. is exactly like yeah. what you signed up that for. That A-10 is phenomenal. Oh. It, it's such a good platform. Such a phenomenal yeah. plan, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah for, for people who are not familiar with the military, there are some some people might be like, why is a Ranger Regiment working with Navy SEALs, right? Mm -hmm. So that's JSOC. That's yep. Joint Special Operations Command, which was specifically created to let all the special operations kind of work together and get used to, so you, you, you're, you'll get that a lot. You'll get SF working with SEALs and you'll yep. get MARSOC working with Rangers and, and, and you do get that a lot. And it's, it's, it's purposely done to get us all kind of working together, even yeah. though sometimes we don't want to. Yeah. And I think <laughs> most of the time, uh, well, I won't go into, yeah, but you're right. You're, mm -hmm. you, you're always just working in conjunction with other units, you know, mm -hmm. SF guys, CAG, SEAL mm -hmm. Team 6, SEALs, Whiteside mm -hmm. guys, MARSOC. So, it's a it's a pretty neat. Um, I mean, it is just a phenomenal machine. When you step back and actually really think about is. it, and yeah. you realize, like, dude, yeah. this is the best of the best from all different branches, mm -hmm. and you're just all hitting targets with each yeah. other or the same night. You know, like a couple mm -hmm. thousand yards away from each other, whatever it is. But it's just like, what an incredible machine or team to be a part of that, and yeah. just go out and just wreck shop with, <laughs> it's with funny. homies. It's funny when you're a young soldier and you learn all the whole MBMP yeah. and military decision making and planning and planning and planning, and then you go hit hundreds of missions and you end up with a piece of paper like this big and you're like, <laughs> okay, you go here, you go here. Any questions? Oh, yeah. No, let's go. Yep. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny. But, um, okay. So you come back, uh -huh. um, you, what, what was your training before you rolled again? Did you roll to Afghanistan again or you did know, you roll went to, to Iraq? Iraq. Iraq so, yeah. um, Let's see, that was, so I went to ranger school after I came back mm -hmm. from that first deployment. And so uh, most of my training was not training. It was just suck fest yep. in, in winter phase in uh, ranger school. So I kind of went through, I got <laughs> back from that first deployment in Afghanistan, 
did a couple months of training, went to ranger school, was there, went straight through, so, so two months or whatever, but I was a winter class, and I got back from ranger school, and um, man, I, literally four days later, I deployed. So yeah, everybody yeah. was deploying. I got back. My uh, platoon sergeant was like, hey, just catch the last bird out because everybody kind of goes in chocks or whatever. So it was like, all right, cool. So got back, um, deployed four days later, ripped right into Iraq, get off the bird. Uh, it's like middle of the day, unloading all my stuff. And, you know, I see my platoon sergeant, we're talking, and uh, he's like, hey, you want to go on a mission tonight? I'm like, yeah, sure. So literally it was like, got in country, not even 12 hours, putting on kit. Mm-hmm. And we're rolling out in Iraq doing Baghdad or in Mosul. We were in Baghdad at that time. Are, yeah. yeah. So I'd, I'd mm-hmm. done some um, worked out of Baghdad, Mosul, Tikrit, and a couple of the, like Warhorse and some of the other ones. So yeah. over the next two uh, two deployments, so it was awesome. And I I look back and I'm like, dude, what a awesome experience compared to the, what most guys get, which is like, hey, you train up, you go on deployment, you rip into Kuwait, you hang out for a couple weeks or a mm-hmm. month. Then you go into country, and then you're there for a couple of weeks figuring out what you're doing, and then you hit targets. Whereas, you know, in special operations, like, dude, I was in ranger school, freezing my ass off. Mm-hmm. I came home. I was home for four days, packed my stuff, hopped on a plane, flew into country, got off the bird, and then was hitting targets that night. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, and then getting yelled at by my team leader because I'm exhausted for the next couple of weeks. And he's yeah. like, why are you always so tired? <laughs> and, I'm, and, you know, I'm just like, I don't. I don't know, you know, like why, yeah. I don't know why I'm falling asleep all the time. And I'm realizing like yeah. in hindsight, I'm like, oh, it's because I just got back from ranger school. I'm like, my body's <laughs> famished. I'm still trying to go out on target and do all this stuff. And, yeah. and, uh, you know, so it was, it was a good, good fun deployment. So, mm. so you did two rack back to back. Yep. And then same right types, into, uh, HVT hits, yep. hits, hits. That, it's so Flying simple. ripping around on little birds, yeah. you know, like squirter interdiction. So my second Iraq deployment, I was a sniper at that point. Mm. And, so uh, between those two, you went to Army Sniper School? Yep. So I went to uh, Big Army Sniper School in 2010 and then went to uh, Sodic, or now it's Sifsic. Yeah. I think it, I think when you're on the inside, it's always Sodic. Yeah, yeah. Special Forces Sniper yep. School, yeah. So then went to Sodic in 2011, uh, and I missed a deployment there because I was at Sodic. So yeah. I hit the uh, Iraq deployment. Which was my third my third deployment, which was a second time to Iraq. I was a sniper, mm-hmm. and then on um, the off bird or yeah, scored or interdiction, yep, scored or interdiction yeah, and yeah. stuff like that on on uh, little birds, and then mm-hmm. and a bunch of other stuff too. Yeah, and then uh, what was it doing? Um, that was I think Mosul mm-hmm. or Tikrit. I, I uh, think a lot of it. What year was that? That was ten. Okay, or, a lot of it. Yeah. Moved oh, nice. from Baghdad up into Mosul and mm-hmm. kind of got pushed up that way around around that timeline. Yeah. I'm not sure exactly, but um, yeah, I was in Sodic at that time as an instructor. Yeah, you yeah, were there yeah. right when I was getting in. I remember you were like out processing out to yeah, go back to third group. I was going I think, back to be a team sergeant yeah. third group. Yeah, yep. so um, I, I went on that tour, kicking uh-huh. and screaming, and tried to get out of it and everything. <laughs> and it ended up being awesome. It ended yeah. up being a really good time. But anyway. Yep. So um, yeah, big army. And then, you know, we're always going to civilian sniper diff- schools was, as well. What was the so. difference between army sniper school and then special forces sniper course? What what was, I know the army one is five weeks. No? I think it's six. And six. then when I went to Sodic, I went to a nine week yeah. course. It just kind of yeah. how it fell. Yeah. Um, I think the main difference at the time, and I think it's changed now for the, the big army school, but uh, you know, it was a lot more of like a suck fest. Mm-hmm. It was all about kind of like scuffing you up, trying yeah. to get as many dudes dropped as they could. I mean, they, they taught a good course, but it was like, hey, look, y- this is a, a big deal, of course, to become a sniper, and so we're not just going to give it to you. Um, whereas when I went through Sodic, you guys had just revamped the entire course. Yep. Uh, and, and so the pass rate was actually 
a lot higher, which you guys had mentioned mm-hmm. because the POI was so much better. Yep. But yeah. I got... But we, we, we deliberately changed that yeah. because we needed snipers in combat, yep. man. Freaking stop failing people over stupid shit. Train yeah. them. If they're not getting it, train them some more. Yep. You're not lowering any standard, just raising the level of teaching. Yeah. yeah, and that was it. It was a lot a lot more hands-on. Um, definitely, I mean, the standard's the standard, but when you have instructors that uh, they kind of understand, and it's a mindset thing, you know? So if you're an instructor, you want to help guys, but there's a difference between like, Hey, I want to help guys, but I'm also protecting kind of what the school is about. Mm-hmm. And like, I want to help guys because we need d- force multipliers, mm-hmm. you know, snipers are force, force multipliers yep. and psychological. I mean, that's psychological warfare to the max, Absolutely, you know, outside yeah. of bombs and all that mm-hmm. awesome shit that the air force has. Uh, but yeah, so I went to Sodic and that was the experience there. I think we had 42 guys we started with and we graduated with like 35 or 36. So, yeah. I mean, it was mm-hmm. a lot more of a high, uh, higher graduation and rate. Usually that's not, no, driving like, people out. It's guys who just can't, can't get, get it, it. Yep. man. You know, yeah. so yeah. Um, so and then just you know, accuracy first, and yeah. you know, some of the other civilian schools. And we used to send, or we we would send guys if we had the chance. Guys, a lot would go hop onto the Sodic level two courses at each of the groups. Yeah. yeah. So we'd work in conjunction with uh, first group. Yeah. Um. You know, so there's a guys would go down to the Marsoc course, and yeah. Um, so yeah. there was a lot of schools. I spent five years at 275 in the sniper section. So there's a lot of stuff we had the opportunity to do. And and I, you've been behind a long gun a long time, but um, you know it's just not one of those skill sets you can pick up in a year yeah, or two. You know, no, you don't really it, find your to own master until like it three, four, takes five a long years in, time man. to master. You yeah. can pick up very basic skills, but, you know, I've said before, pistol carbine are skills. Long gun is a freaking, it, it's a craft. Yeah, that, science that craft. takes totally. a long time, yeah. So, uh Two back-to-back in Iraq, mm-hmm. then you go back to Afghanistan? Yep, I missed a deployment because I was at Sodic and then back to Afghanistan for the next three, mm-hmm. um, yeah, three deployments to Afghanistan. Wow, so. all the same type of thing, HVT. Yep, same thing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, um, yeah, I, I mean, I got to do the old HVT thing, but I also did the UW thing, which is a lot of training and mm-hmm. a, lot of, a lot of BS and a lot of waiting and, and all that. So good for you, man. So at the end, when you get... You, when you're on your last thought, when did you start thinking, you know, I don't know if this is for me, man. And, and I'm, I'm sure being married and having kids is something yeah. to do with it. And um, some of us don't see it till later on that, that it's taken a toll. Yeah. But you obviously, you know, if, if that was your, your catalyst, you, you, you looked at your life and you're like, oh, I don't know. You know, how did, how did that kind of conversation in your head go? Uh, so sort of caveat a little bit on that i would say because i went in a little older at like 23 24 um i was very aware that the military is a very it, it just a cons- it consumes everything you it are does. you know you become yeah. you become it's a very symbiotic relationship yeah. so and you have to have it that way you have to buy in mm-hmm. you have to you know drink the kool-aid at, at least awesome. in special operations you do yep. yeah but yeah. i i was also very aware that like Hey, at the end of the day, everybody exits at some point, you yeah. know, whether yeah. it's two years or whether it's 25 years or 30 years, you have to leave yeah. that system and, and you have to be able to incorporate your life back into some semblance of whatever that civilian life might be once mm-hmm. you get out. And so I, I was very aware of that and I was very aware that I couldn't allow my experience in, in Ranger Regiment, everything I did to become, allowed to become my identity. I mean, it, it's always going to be a part of who mm-hmm. I am, but I wouldn't allow it to like dictate and be the main driver of, of who I was. Mm. So, um, so I did my, my eight years in regiment, my last deployment. And at that time, uh, my wife and I had been married, you know, 
eight years or something, we had a, our oldest son, and he was like two, one and, a, one and a half, two, and I'd already been on my last three deployments. And I'm like, man. So, you, so you've been married eight years. You've probably been gone four. Uh, we, did, we did the math, I think, at year seven, and I was home on average no more than three months a year. Yeah. I'm just constantly yeah. gone, either deployed. Mm-hmm. I mean, some years you're deployed twice a year, uh, but you're, you know, when you're home and you're training, you're just at different schools, mm. you know, you're out in the, whatever you're yeah, doing, you're, you're gone, gone a lot. So, yeah. And that's, that's why military spouses, man, they, yeah. they run the show, they pay the bills, they do everything. And, uh, that, that's a huge burden because we roll in and then we roll back out and we, we, we don't want to deal with bills and all that. Right. Know, everybody's yeah, like, yeah. Oh, you're going on. Oh man, I feel so bad. You're going back to Iraq, Afghanistan. Yeah, and you're like, are you kidding me? This is a vacation. You're like, <laughs> I just busted my ass for six months. Like I know. all I'm going to go over, do you know, go over there and do is my job and play mm-hmm. video games and yeah. eat good food and get jacked. Yeah. <laughs> and get, like, get really it. good shape. Yeah, yeah. People are like, how was Iraq? I was like, like I love awesome. this. It's perfect. <laughs> yeah. So, um, how many kids do you have at this point? So I had one, and that was kind of the the um, I think that was like the catalyst because I had yeah. I'd run my course at regiment for me. I'd been there eight, you know, almost eight years. I'd been there for six deployments. I was a senior E six, um, and it, you know, it was just kind of like you know, I didn't see myself getting up to that next rank. It was like I'm either I'm either getting out or I'm going. It, I I always wanted to try for Delta Force and get mm-hmm. over there. So I'd gone to selection after my last deployment. Um, in in regiment. Actually, I was talking about this t- with you the other day, but that last deployment, the very last mission, we had walked out from the base, hit our compound or hit our targets, and we we're walking back in. And I was the very first man, you know, leading the, the our platoon back into the uh, compound. But it was kind of like an awkward weight of that was kind of like lifted off me, where I realized like this is it. Like even Never if I if I go again. to CAG yeah. or if I get out, it either way like this is the last bit of rangering I'm going to do with these group of guys. Like I'll never do another mission with these guys. Mm -hmm. You know, like this chapter of my life is officially closed. Was it it like bittersweet or was it? Yeah, it was, it was, I very much realized it as I was walking back in and I, you could see the IR lights, uh, from the comp or from our, from our fob, you know, shining out, Mm kind of illuminating the way while we're walking back in. And it was just kind of like, man, this is just so bizarre that, this is it, you know, yeah. and it, you know, for all intents and purposes, that last mission was a total bus, man. We yeah. went in, we got our guys, nothing was, no, no, no shots, no shots fired, fired yeah. nothing, mm-hmm. you know, just kind of like, yeah, whatever, just went, went, walked out, got yeah. the bad guys, walked back. Yeah. And that was it. And it was like, climactic, man. That was it, man. It's like, dude, freaking, <laughs> like, damn. Okay. Yeah. Like, that was it. Yeah. Um, so yeah. And then got, got back from that deployment, trained up for, uh, selection, and then went to CAG selection and then, uh, you know, bombed out Bloody Thursday, which gets most guys. Mm-hmm. And if you'd have made it, would you still be in? Yeah. 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 I, that was kind of like the, the it's hard to leave that unit, yep. man. And I've never so, been in that unit, but it's, it's, from what I hear, it's a tough unit yeah. to, because it's, it, you know, we, we throw around tip of the spear a lot. That's really the, the, tip. the yeah. tip. Yeah. Just um, the tip. Just the tip. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But I, you know, I look back and a lot of the dudes I served with that were in the sniper section I mean, there's, a, probably a dozen that are over there, you know, mm-hmm. a lot, just around there. But it's a lot of my buddies, you know, that I uh, were snipers with. They're good dudes. They're all over mm-hmm. there. And yeah. I went with a few of them. When I went to selection, they made it. And, yeah. you know, you oh, just, I didn't. So People don't know much about CAG, yeah. and rightly so. But them boys are doing the the Lord's work, man. I tell you, they, they every all the time, more than Today, anybody man. else. But, uh, yeah. yeah, so, um, so you decide to get out. Right. Um, what was that like? What was the, your transition like? Was it a positive experience? 
Yeah, it was. So um, this is where it gets real funny, okay, with, especially with cutting hair. So... <laughs> Uh, so did, I got. Did you a, tell people in in God, Ranger dude, Regiment that you were a hairdresser? Tried, I'm a hairdresser. Yeah, dude. Oh <laughs> this old time. I tried to hide it, you know. So I I got in a cutting. Is that what he's called? Zohan. Yeah, that was it. Before Zohan. before there was Zohan. <laughs> I made some a lot of good money though. Every time I would uh, go on deployment, I'd make a bunch of cash, oh, come yeah. home, buy guns. Yeah. My wife couldn't be pissed because yeah. I had all this cash that yeah. I made from cutting hair overseas. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so I got out, and my wife and my son moved back to Arizona, and then. Uh, Dude, this is hopefully all you guys out there listening are laughing because it's a ridiculous story. But I, I needed, I had two months of like saved time, uh, a terminal leave, mm -hmm. and I was like, dude, I don't know what I'm gonna do. I don't want to go right back into, you know, I don't want to go right into the contracting world and fall into that because so many guys fall into it. It's phenomenal money, and yeah. it's a way to kind of continue to live out that that um, you know that pursuit of glory and mm -hmm. everything that you want to do. When you're in, you know, but mm -hmm. now you're making good bucks. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And it's a good, good provision, good living. Yeah, it can for be you a good family. gig yeah. depending on the company you work for and yep. the people that are around you and their standards of who they hire. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I didn't want to step into that right away because I knew with my credentials and where I was coming from and what I had, I'm like, okay, I'm a shoe in for obviously you got to make it, of course, mm -hmm. but it's like I can get my foot in the door with anything and I'll be making good money. But I, I didn't want to rely on that. So I had, uh, I was like, okay, I don't want to, what, what am I going to do? I didn't really want to go back into cutting women's hair. I was like, I'm, I'm freaking over that. I cannot be around females to that extent uh, <laughs> again. And the, the first reason I got into it was like, I wasn't married and it was like, I was living in college town. It's like, yeah. this, isn't, this isn't a bad gig. You know, I'm just, <laughs> I work inside and around pretty girls all day. Um, so I actually, I went to Vidal Sassoon in Santa Monica. I had a ranger buddy of mine. His, his mother lived down there. And so I stayed with her and I would ride my bike uh, to school every day my bicycle, like a, a road bicycle. And, um, and that was in hindsight, that was probably such a phenomenal way to decompress. Cause I didn't know anybody out there. My mm -hmm. buddy's mom was in her seventies. And so I didn't really ever talk to her and I was removed from everything I knew. So I literally had left Ranger Battalion. All my buddies deployed. Mm -hmm. Uh, I got the chance to say bye to two of them. I left on a Friday. I showed up to go to school, hair school on Monday to like these master classes that kind of put me back into the mindset and like, you know, mm -hmm. refresh all my skills and crap. And, uh, I just literally, I show up on Monday and I'm surrounded by 19 year old chicks and gay dudes. And I'm like, what the <laughs> fuck did I just do? I'm like, I can't believe I'm, I'm here doing yeah. this for two months. Yeah. And, uh, and the school, I mean, it's, it's right there on Santa Monica Boulevard in the promenade. So you're, yeah. you're talking two blocks from the beach mm -hmm. and I lived a mile and a half northeast in some super hoity-toity neighborhood. And so the ability to kind of decompress from that type of mindset, mm -hmm. uh, in hindsight, I look back and it was like... It's like being immersed in something oh, completely yeah. different, totally. right? So would you recommend that for people transitioning? Is Because I've said this before, like don't take six months off and go watch Netflix yeah, and sit you on your couch it, and drink no. beer, man. Don't do it, you know? Yeah. Get straight into something yeah. and, and just keep your brain working. Yeah, yeah you, you have to, you know? And uh, especially... For most men, and especially most men coming from that type of line of work that we were doing, you're just, you're highly motivated, you're highly driven, you have to succeed, you have to be multitasking and doing stuff mm -hmm. constantly. And to be able to just, and I'm, we all know guys that kind of step out of what we've done, and they, it's like they hit that kill switch and mm -hmm. their life just disintegrates. It does. And for yeah. a year or two years, mm -hmm. they just kind of 
hold up in their little clamshell and they're like, dude, I just yeah, yeah. I can't do anything. They've, they've almost like lost all motivation to do anything. Yeah, all sense of purpose. Yeah. yeah. And, and yeah, it, it's very hard for guys. You just yeah. need to, you need to keep the machine going, man. Whatever you do, yeah. just do something. Yeah. Um, any problems with sleep or anger or any, any psychological problems when he got out? Like a lot of guys have. No, not, not really. You know, like I think, um, no, you know, I think I, I was pretty even keeled throughout my time in regiments. Uh, that afforded me my first, I, be, I beat the curse. We always call it the Ranger curse. I'm sure you guys call it the curse too, but my first two kids were boys. So, uh, which was funny because a lot of my sniper buddies, we always had boys and all my buddies in the line always had girls. Really? And so it was like, yeah. hey man, you got to just chill out, dude. Yeah. Like learn how to freaking <laughs> just relax. So yeah, so two boys and I got a little girl and that's, you know, what my wife and I have done. But, um, it's different, man. Yeah. Raising girls is different. Oh. Um, so, uh, so look, do, do you still keep in touch with, with the guys from regiment? Yeah, I do. There's some really good buddies I still keep in contact with. Uh, you know, in the community here, we have a huge special operations community. And I would say we, we dude, I have, I think there's seven dudes I personally serve with in 275. Really? I live here in wow. Prescott. There's a and, huge veteran community here, yeah, right? Yeah. yeah we're the, it's like 19% of the population are vets. Wow. Which is the largest per capita compared to any other mm-hmm. uh, state or something or city. So it's, it's a pretty large community. And then of course, but there's a huge special operations community here. So I've, in the five years I've been back, I've met guys from all walks of life uh, mm-hmm. in the military. And it's, it's awesome because where, where you might've had, um, I don't know, like the, the pride or the ego back when you were in the military and you look at another service or another branch or unit and you're kind of like, you know, screw yeah, you guys. Yeah. You get out and it, it, when you can kind of check your ego mm-hmm. at the door, you realize like, dude, they did their time just like I did yeah. mine, you know, yeah. and good for them. And it's it's always good to see some other respect respectable man or, or woman for that mm-hmm. matter who did their time, they got out and they're still crushing it. Yeah. And you want them to su- succeed. And it's like, dude, in all for all intents and purposes at some level they're still a brother you mm-hmm. know so yeah yeah so it's we, cool to we, we all fought the same bad guys right yeah. so, um you miss it oh yeah all the time yeah. I, I think <laughs> uh yeah so i still i stayed in the national guard i've been doing that for the last five years i got out of ranger regiment and i took over the sniper section for the state for the last five years and then just recently i moved up to um range control which i feel like i am doing doing something bad because it's the most unproductive time I've ever spent mm-hmm. in the military where I'm like, I cannot believe I'm getting paid to just do this, which is sit at a desk and give units that come in radios and keys. Hey, yeah. yeah. Give me a call. Do you go, when you do you go and check the range dude, and make sure to pick the boulder brass. Yeah, yeah. You're that guy now. I'm the guy. The guy you bitched about <laughs> so many times, right? Know, hey, you missed a piece. I even bring pieces of brass and just throw them in the dirt, you know, <laughs> make sure that uh, some E6 or E7 scuffing yeah, up a private, yeah. you know? So they don't get too uppity, right? <laughs> yeah, totally. yeah. So, um, so now you, you've transitioned out, you're in the National Guard. So let, let's talk about your businesses a little bit. Because yeah. I know you've got multiple things happening right now. And uh, they're still moving forward despite this whole Corona thing. But uh, the barbershop is, is closed on right now, right? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. But what, what's the other things? You've got a bunch of other things going on. Yep. So uh, I started with the barbershop, John Hancock Barbershop. Um, you can find it online, HancockBarbershop.com. But so I started with that. It was myself, and then I had a buddy of mine from Missouri that moved out about a month and a half later, and it was a two-chair shop. And when I started it, I, I very quickly knew, like, hey, the goal is to have influence within the community, to serve the community. 
and really to kind of create a space uh, and a place for men to kind of come back to and kind of frequent um, compared to, there's not a lot of places these days that men can go to. You know, you have your bars, which mm-hmm. that's an experience of itself. But outside of that, you know, m- most men don't congregate at most places. And the barbershop, I mean, all the way back to World War One and Two, you know, mm-hmm. it was a place where guys could go, relax. They kind of... It seemed like it was a big thing in like the 40s and yeah, 50s. Yeah, you're catching and, up on yeah, kind of the, what's yeah, going on in the yeah, community and the city. Yeah, and, yeah. and, you know, you're running into different people and... So it was a place for guys just to kind of slow down. So mm-hmm. I, I, that was what I knew was, you know, getting out. I'm like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to attempt at, um, cutting hair. Cause I knew that. And then I'm going to open up a barbershop. So, uh, started the barbershop and real quickly, I outgrew my place and moved into another location. How many downtown. chairs do you have? So we have seven chairs and a staff of 10 and mm-hmm. then, uh, an additional staff of four for the front desk. So we're open six days a week, 10 hours a day. Mm. Uh, we see about 90 on a slow day to like 120 a Damn. day. So we're, we're cranking. Mm. Good. Um, good for yeah. you. And so everybody makes good money here. You know, they're all, uh, you know, everybody's an employee of John Hancock. I didn't do the whole 1099 thing. Mm-hmm. And, and largely because I wanted to, um, continue to grow the brand as I continued to uh, expand. So Prescott Valley and Flagstaff and down in the Valley. So, um, but when I, I got to a point where I, I kind of had maxed out how much I could grow John Hancock about two years ago, which was seven chairs, and there's no schools up here. And so I, I was, it's like you can't scalp your own people to go move to a new location. So mm. kind of like in the back of my head from the beginning of like what else allows people to congregate and bring people together? And it was like, well, coffee, beer, you know, barbershop. So all the kind of service-related industries and the ability to kind of show people um, – you know, what a, a top quality experience could be. And mm-hmm. right now as a culture, we're very experience based when it comes to how we spend our money and, and what we want to spend our money on. Mm-hmm. Um, and so started John Hancock and then I partnered with a childhood buddy of mine here in town who was an air force veteran. And then he got out and him and his wife moved back here about the same time, uh, my wife and I did. And so all four of us had grown up together and, and we, I brought him on as a consultant uh, for the barbershop on how to grow it. And his guy, his mind is, I mean, that guy is phenomenal when it comes to organizational planning and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. I mean, t- typical officer, right? Mm-hmm. So we got a good yin and yang of like, I'm balls to the wall. And he's the one that's got the reins and like, hey, slow down. Or do we think of that? Like, ah, it's just going to work out. Don't worry mm-hmm. about it. You know? Yeah, yeah. Um, so we ended up purchasing about a, just shy of a 14,000 square foot building downtown about a year and a half ago. Uh, and then there's a, in, in doing that, you know, now there's a Hilton Doubletree going in right across the street from us, which is a brand new hotel opening up later this year. Uh, and then what we're doing, the whole name of the concept is uh, founding fathers collective. And we're putting in a 65 wall beer tap wall, which is a self-serve tap system. So you kind of just can serve yourself, which is, you know, once again, allowing people to create their own experience. Mm-hmm. And then we're doing a hidden speakeasy, like a membership-only speakeasy bar. Uh, so we've already sold about 40 memberships there. Uh, and then we're going to limit that to maybe about 100, 120. We're just kind of watching. We have to. The interesting thing is we have to kind of create our own algorithm on when we can offer more memberships or, or you know, when, when, when and where to cap it. Mm-hmm. Um, so this hidden speakeasy membership, and that really is, is uh, it allows people to get in there by themselves or with people they know, but then they really get to take advantage of the other um, businesses within there. So their membership pays for either haircuts throughout the year or a certain amount of beers or mm-hmm. drinks. or, And then we're doing a, um, a third wave coffee shop. Uh, and then we're doing jujitsu and then a functional fitness gym and men's retail. 
Wow. So it's, it's going to be... Are they all, they're all co-located? Yeah, all, oh. all co-located. We own everything except for the jujitsu, and that actually is... Uh, that's Rob Johnson here in town. It used to be GD Jiu-Jitsu, but he partnered recently with, uh, I believe, Chad Robichaud, who's mm-hmm. also a you yeah, know, no Chad, Marine yeah. Force mm-hmm. recon dude. Mm-hmm. And um, so those, those two will be moving the jujitsu over to um, where we're at. And, mm. you know, so there's a lot of good symbiotic relationship going on. Functional fitness gym, we got lockers and shower rooms and obviously jujitsu. And then we got a, a killer coffee shop and a, a bar and a tap room and a barber shop and retail. So really we've, what we've created is uh, just a, a space for men and women to come and, and kind of just experience uh, you know, the next level of like what the culture here in Prescott has to offer. And then we're trying to just kind of serve our community to the best of our ability. And you know how it is. It's like, you know, I'm not really focused on beating other people. The goal is just how, how can I better myself and mm-hmm. be the best that I can be with, with the staff we have and, and business partner. And so, um, so that's been the project for the last year and a half. That's so. really cool, man. When do you think it'll, it'll get given, I, I, we don't know what's going on now with the coronavirus and hopefully it'll damp down, but when do you think it'll open up? Yeah. So we're shooting to be open in July. Okay. Uh, we're shooting for a 4th of July grand opening, which if we can stay on task, that'll be great. Uh, I have another Ranger buddy of mine here in town that, uh, he's running the project management on the whole thing. And he kind of had left battalion. He was a senior medic left, did uh, military contracting for seven years. And then, you know, him and his wife and their kids moved out here a couple of years ago and he kind of left the contracting world mm-hmm. uh, late last year and kind of came on board and just crushing it with the whole build out and, and just the project management side of the house, which has been, you know, total blessing in disguise because we were kind of, we didn't know we were at our wits end, but we were definitely, you know, been running with this project for the last year mm-hmm. and a half. And it's kind of like, yeah, okay, we think now that we're getting to start the whole thing, like, okay, how's this going to pan out and when he stepped in it was like holy holy crap didn't realize how much we needed him so it's been awesome the three of us kind of run everything and then uh when we get up and running we're really it's a team of about 50 to 60 people employees so yeah it'll be a a big operation so i haven't drank in like 10 15 years but i'm gonna drink a beer in your your place we'll have some first beer in like 15 years it's okay i don't know i forget what beer tastes like cool well this is like a self-serve so you get a little rfid bracelet yeah and you're able to actually choose what beer you want and you can Mm -hmm. serve yourself as little or as much as you want so really so when you're on the floor and you can't reach the taps that means (laughs) you've had enough right i'm gonna gonna put yours way up top so you (laughs) right from the beginning yeah yeah that's awesome man yeah like it sounds like a really cool project yeah who's got the business mind is that one of your partners or is that you that's both of us is it yeah so it's for you man it just shows what an army guy with a a juvie record can do when he puts his mind to it right i know that's great where can people like follow you do you have instagram or anything like that yeah yeah so we the website uh, is foundingfatherscollective.com uh, and then hancockbarbershop.com um, we have an Instagram and Facebook we really haven't focused primarily on that yet we have a huge following here in town mm-hmm. uh, and we have people that come to visit the shop from Flagstaff and Camp Verde and Cottonwood I mean we've had a, a pretty huge following in northern Arizona um, and so that will really allow us to kind of crush the local market with mm-hmm. founding fathers but, um, yeah, the pages there, I, I'm not too focused on it right now just because we have so much homegrown, mm-hmm. um, you know, culture behind what we're doing. But we, we're dumping a huge, ton, uh, quite a bit of money into brand new website development and mm. 
content and all that stuff. And, and again, we're, we're it feeds into with, the experience, yeah. right? The whole piece. Yeah, I know? mean, this whole once we're done, this whole project's a three million dollar project. So it's mm-hmm. it's pretty big, and it's it's we're executing it at the highest level that we know how to. And of course, we're we're able to tap into some major resources on on every aspect. And 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 I, I think a huge part of it too is just understanding that hey, you don't know what you don't know, and mm-hmm. you need to just humbly step outside your own self, get out of your own way and just go find people that know something yeah. in that industry. And it's like, Hey man, I don't know anything about beer other than I like it. So <laughs> how, how do we do this right? You know, we're like, yeah. Hey, I know nothing about coffee other than I like it. So yeah, where do we start? You know? Yeah. So, and really with just having that mindset, most people are, are apt more than apt and willing to just help out and lend a hand and let you know, like, Hey, you need this machine or you need that or do this, don't do that. Mm-hmm. So it's been very fortunate to that's get awesome. out of our own way and see what's going on. Mm, good for you, man. Well, we, we wish you every success. So Grant asked me the other day, he wants to start shooting sniper competitions with me. Yeah, man. dude. I haven't forgotten. Oh. You seem pretty busy, man. I don't know. Dude, uh, well, I'm, I'm pretty busy I, too. So yeah, hopefully um, after the next couple months, especially after COVID, it slows down and we yeah. uh, we can start shooting. Well, we shot against each other in the 2012 uh, Yusasak match. So. Yeah, we did. Yeah. Um, that's a great match. It was a yeah, phenomenal. Great match. Great match. It's, it's so it's so well run. Um, yeah, great. I, I I would love to start shooting matches again, but I, I kind of thought that chapter of my life was over. But maybe not. Maybe I can uh, I can know, I can hobble a lot a little bit we can, more. Yeah, yeah, sling some lead. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right. Um, well, that was great, Grant. Thank you so much for your service, man. And uh, we wish you every success moving forward. But uh, it, it sounds like things are lining up pretty good for you. Cool. Well, sounds thanks, like Kevin. You, yeah. yeah. You too, man. Welcome to Prescott and looking forward to all the future beers or maybe one beer, but at least future hangouts. <laughs> I'm a lightweight, man. Yeah. Maybe one's all it'll oh, take. It might, yeah. it might be. But uh, great, man. Thanks for being on the podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me on, Kevin. All right. Thanks for tuning in. Until the next time, stay alert, stay alive. 